The Duty of Women, Chapter 14. I knew my time was near, and still Queen Jane hadn't said anything. So I decided to ask her early one morning as she was being dressed. It was normal for me to play for her, but I usually didn't ask her anything. This time, though, I took a deep breath and put down my lute. Your Majesty, may I ask you a favour? The ladies that were dressing her breathed in, and looked down their noses at me. Times had changed so much from when I worked for Queen Catherine and even for Queen Anne. Gone were the times of midnight confidences, shared prayers and secrets. I had to know my place now. Queen Jane looked at me vaguely. Then she gave a gesture of recognition. Cat, I remember. You, you must go to Wolf Hall. She saw my swelling belly and her face looked unutterably sad. I am near my time, Your Majesty. I need to depart within the week. She was thoughtful, sad. I cannot spare you until the end of this month, Cat. I wondered why, but I didn't have time to ask. The great door swung open and the king swept into her chamber, scattering ladies who retreated from him as he came. I turned to look at him, just for an instant, before I curtsied. He was getting very weighty now, and he limped due to a long-standing injury to his leg. His face was almost square, lined by a close-clipped beard. His cheeks were red, but not the rosy red of his youth, more of an unhealthy flush. But he was dressed magnificently, and no one could doubt that he was the king. He was angry, I could see. He pointed his finger in Queen Jane's face, jabbing it towards her eyes. My father, I hated him. Queen Jane flinched for an instant then tried to compose herself. She was standing there in her shift, her state gown put aside by her dresses, who had vanished. Uncomfortably, she gave a small curtsy, narrowly avoiding the king's finger as she dipped her head. Tell me, madam, he roared, tell me now. I hear you have your courses again. That is four months since we wed. God send that you are not barren. Queen Jane hung her head. I'm sorry, Your Majesty. I know it must be disappointing, she whispered. The king's face swelled with rage 
and he exploded at her. Disappointing, madam, disappointing. You speak as if there is no mutton for dinner. This is not a disappointment. This is a crisis. I need an heir. You know that. God has taken Henry Fitzroy. All I have are two bastard daughters, Elizabeth and Mary. Which one would ruin the kingdom quicker? We need a boy. So why are you not with child? Tell me that, madam. Why are you not with child? I, I, I don't know, your majesty. I backed towards the door, embarrassed for her and wanting to get out of the way. You don't know? You had better find out, madam, and quickly. He turned on his heel and stormed out of the room. Tears started to roll down Jane's face. Don't go, cat, she said quickly. I need a moment to compose myself. Sit with me. I poured her a goblet of wine. Here you are, your majesty, I said. I could not say more, because if I did, I would give vent to my feelings about the king. He must understand that it was not Queen Jane's fault if she had not yet conceived. But he had always blamed women, first Catherine and then Anne. Jane would be no different. But while the other two queens had vigorously contested Henry's attempts to blame them, Jane was very different. It's my fault, Cat. I missed my prayers last week and I, I did not rest after, after we were intimate. His Majesty is right to be angry with me. I must strive to do his will. I couldn't help it. I reached out and touched her on the shoulder. It was fragile, like a bird's. I could feel her bones underneath her shift. We have no control over whether we conceive, Your Majesty, I murmured, trying to reassure her. But you conceived, Cat, she said. You conceived and I did not. I smiled cynically. It would have been better if it had been the other way round, Your Majesty, I said. Indeed it would, Cat. So what am I doing wrong? I have prayed and fasted and listened to the midwife's advice, but nothing. She looked me straight in the face and asked directly, Do you think I will conceive, Cat? You know more than me about these matters. I could not tell her that I didn't know. Instead, I lied. Your Majesty, I know the look of fertile women. There is a look, a fullness about the skin. You have that look, Your Majesty. You will conceive very soon. She shook her head sadly. It had better be soon or the king will have no use for me. Her words were chilling. She accepted that if she didn't soon carry a child in her belly, she would be replaced. After what King Henry had said, I knew she was right. No, no, your majesty, I said unconvincingly. She waved me away. No more of this cat. You may go to Wolf Hall. I will find a manservant and a maid to accompany you. Now fetch my ladies. It is nearly time for the mass and I am not dressed. I curtsied and left her, praying inwardly that if she was replaced, 
it would be by an annulment, not an execution. I travelled down to Wolf Hall three days later with an irritable manservant and his teenage daughter. He started the journey by being curious, a nasty leer on his face. So, if you're married, as you say you are, mistress, why is your husband not looking after you? He leered at me, and I knew that he thought I was a maid who had got into trouble and was being helped by the Queen. He was probably right, I thought, but I wasn't going to give him the satisfaction. My husband is away on business for Thomas Cromwell, I replied icily. He will be returning before All Souls Day. That silenced him and I had no more insolent comments. But it made me think. Will was probably back in London now. If the court hadn't gone to Windsor, I might have seen him. But it was nine months since he had thrown me out, and I hadn't heard a word from him. I still had the letter I had written to him. Somehow, once I was with child, it hadn't seemed right to contact him. But now... I realised that I still loved him. Tom Wyatt had been fun and a good friend, but it was Will that I wanted. Should I tell him my child was his? There was an outside possibility, but then that would mean lying, and I had never lied to Will. What I wanted was to tell him the whole truth and ask for his forgiveness. I also wanted him to ask for my forgiveness, as it was he who had, after all, made me leave. But would he want to do that? Maybe he had found someone else in the wilds of Lincolnshire and was even now setting up home with her. I still hoped that he missed me, though, and resolved once my baby was born to try to find him. It took us nearly a week to reach Wolf Hall. I could not ride far due to my pregnancy and we stopped frequently to rest. Fortunately, the autumn was mild and I was able to stop whenever I needed to. Eventually, we got to Wolf Hall and rode along to Mistress Ashdown's cottage. As we trotted up, her door opened and she ran out to meet us. Mistress Cat, it is good to see you. Welcome to my home. She waved irritably at the manservant. Help her down, you! When did you ever see a lady in her condition left perching on top of her horse? The manservant swore under his breath, but went to lift me down. Mistress Ashdown hugged me and led me into her cottage. The two servants departed for the main house, where they would stay the night in the servants' quarters. The cottage was as warm and welcoming as I remember it, with a cheery fire burning in the hearth and the table set with plates and tankards. Sit down, Mistress Cat, sit down, Mistress Ashdown told me. You're here to rest now. You must not lift a finger. I sat in the rush-bottomed chair beside the table. Thank you, Mistress Ashdown, but I am not ill. I can still help you in the house, I insisted. Call me Mistress Mead, she said. Better still, Meady. That's what Jane used to call me when she was little. Give me my dolly, Meady, she would say. Pour me some mead, Meady. Of course, I gave her a little. 
She loved it and grew bonny on it. What a strong little girl she was. So I called her Meedy from that day onwards. And so I rested and ate rabbit stew and drank goblets of mead, fresh creamy milk and small ale for breakfast. Dear Alice, my daughter, you have a sunny disposition and a calm temperament. This is all down to Meedy, who looked after me. I, who had looked after so many others, was at last being cared for. Meedy did everything. She washed my shifts, baked bread and cooked every day. At night she would make up the fire and tell me to sit beside it. After a few goblets of mead, I would go to sleep in her wooden bed, made up with lavender-scented sheets. Despite my protests, she slept on a pallet bed, saying that I needed the big bed to spread out and be comfortable. Every morning she would be up before dawn. I would lie there in the bed, hearing her bustling about, and feel as if I was a little girl once again, with Joan baking bread for my breakfast. Meedy told me stories of Jane when she was a little girl. She was such a good little girl, not like her brothers. They were always fighting, but she never joined in. I can see her now, around three years old she was. Her dolly was her baby. She would go nowhere without that dolly. Going to mass, picnics, walks in the garden, always dolly was with her, tucked under her arm. She liked to watch me at my work and she always wanted to join in. She loved gathering herbs with me, putting the sprigs into her own small basket. With the lavender, she would do what I did, squeeze ahead between her two chubby fingers and then bring them up to her nose to smell the scent. Media looked wistful when she remembered the times past. She wasn't one for her books. She preferred to copy the maids as they went around their tasks and she loved animals. She had a little dog once when she was about 11, a tiny spaniel, the runt of the litter, but she loved him. He was called Faithful. I remember that. She would wash him and dress him in ribbons and feed him tidbits from the table. Meedy shook her head. He was killed by one of her father's horses. He got into the stables, I don't know how, and Sir John Stallion kicked him to death. Poor Jane, she cried and cried. Did she get another dog? I asked. I'd never seen Lady Jane with a dog, although many of the court ladies had them. No, she said that no other dog would replace Faithful. That's her, you see. Once she loves something or someone, she commits herself to them, utterly. I nodded. We were friends from when she first came to court, I said. But even though she is now so grand, she hasn't forgotten me. Meedy nodded her agreement. That is my Jane. She wrote to me about you. I was surprised to get the letter. I thought that she was too busy to write now she is so grand. But no, she asked after me. She checked that my pension was sufficient and then asked me to take you in for your confinement. It was the least I could do. Meedy looked curiously at me. Tell me this, cat. 
Why couldn't your husband look after you? Her face was concerned rather than condemnatory. I couldn't tell her everything. That would involve giving away the secret of my birth. So I muttered, We had an argument. I couldn't live with him any more. Meady was up in arms. And so he won't take responsibility for his child. No argument justifies that. I looked down at the stone floor. He doesn't know, I confessed. Cat, you must tell him. Let me ask his lordship to send him a message for you. But any message would have to go to Austin Friars, and I did not want to be involved with Thomas Cromwell any more. Meady, it is difficult. I will tell him once I'm back at court. I need to speak privately with him, and I do not wish to put it all into a letter. She sat back, shaking her head. You've chosen a difficult path, girl, but I will look after you, I swear. I told Queen Jane that you would be safe here, and you will. When your time comes, we will send for the village midwife, and she will deliver your baby for you. And so the days passed. It was October now, and there was a chill in the air. Meady and I ambled into the forests around Wolf Hall to pick sloes, late blackberries and elderberries. Sometimes she would collect honey from the hives around the main house and return with it to start the brewing of her famous mead. It was a calm and happy time, and so far away from the dangers and excitement of court that I found myself relaxing after many months of feeling like I was living on the edge. One morning, unusually, I woke before Meady. I was feeling nervy and uncomfortable. I got out of bed and went to the kitchen, thinking I would sit beside the fire that had been banked up the previous night. But before I got there, I felt a rush of warm liquid flooding down my legs, as if I had urinated on myself. I stood there in the puddle for a moment, wondering what was happening. Then I looked around to find a rag to clean up the mess on the floor. Meady came in when I was on my knees, cleaning the cold stone floor. What are you doing? Get up, cat. You shouldn't be cleaning floors in your condition. I saw the concern on her face and it released something in me that I had kept firmly buried. I started to cry, tears streaming down my face. As I cried, I felt my belly contract with a shooting pain worse than anything I had ever felt before. Hey, hey, cat, cat, what's the matter? Here, come and sit down. Let me fetch you some small ale. She bustled to the table and returned with a tankard. Why are you crying, sweeting? Her use of the word sweeting only made me cry more. I hadn't been called that since I was a child. And now I was having a child myself, bringing you, my daughter, into a future that was uncertain, maybe even dangerous. I vowed then that I would always protect you, always love you, until the end of my life. I can feel pain, Meady. Oh, here it comes again. I slammed the tanker down on the table and held my breath as another agonising spasm swept over me. It's your time, child. 
Your babe is on its way. Let me get you back to bed and then I will go and fetch the midwife. She helped me back into the bedroom and then dressed quickly, throwing on a cloak and pulling on her boots before she turned to me. Cat, I will be gone no more than an hour. When I come back, I will bring, bring the midwife with me. Don't move. Stay warm in bed. What if the baby comes? I cried, panicking at her leaving me. She smiled and laid her hand on my face. You have hours to go yet, sweeting. Don't worry, I will be back with the midwife well before then. She withdrew her hand and crept downstairs into the dawn. Left alone, I talked to you, daughter. Every time the pain swept through me, I felt that you were knocking at the door of life. Let me be born, mother. I am eager to see the world. And in my head, I was telling you, beware, baby. The world is a dangerous place and there are many evil people out to destroy you. You didn't like me saying that, daughter. Another pain, even worse than the last, gripped me. I hastened to reassure you. Nothing can hurt you, my love. I will always love you. While I live, I will protect you. In a quiet moment between contractions, I felt you flutter inside me as if you had understood what I'd promised you. But those quiet moments soon ceased. I was no longer talking to you. Instead, we were in a battle, fighting to bring you into the world. The pains were coming all the time now, and I was afraid I could not bear it. I got up and tried to pace up and down, but the pains took my breath away, and I was not able to continue. Daughter, giving birth is a woman's battlefield. Some of us do not survive. We suffer uncertainty, immense pain and fear. More of us die on this battlefield than do men on theirs. It takes courage to be a warrior, courage and indomitable hope. We are said to be weak, but we are as strong as the soldiers who fought in France and the Midlands of England. The difference is that our battle is to give life, whereas theirs is to take it. We are the warriors of life, us women. I was screaming out now. I couldn't hold it in. Where was Meady? How had I allowed myself to conceive this baby anyway? Never again, never, never again. I heard the door open and footsteps rushing up the stairs. Meady burst into the room. I heard you from the lane. Are you near the end now? She stripped off her cloak and stood over me. She was on her own. Where's the midwife? I cried out. I need help. So much pain, I can't bear it. The midwife is with another woman. I went to find her and was then directed to the woman's house. I was mad with pain. So why isn't she here? I wailed. I can't do this without her. The other woman is very close to delivery. The midwife will stay with her until the baby's safely arrived. 
Once the birth is over, she will hasten to you. She will be here within two hours, Cat. Don't fear. I was getting desperate. She has no business to do that. She should be with me. Daughter, I was unreasonable. But that is how labour makes you. You're fighting for your life and your babe's life. You're not polite, not pleasant. You're in it to the death. Meady tried to reassure me. She will be here soon and I have some experience of birth so I can help you. Let me go and fetch some towels. She bustled out of the room, leaving me crying almost continuously. Returning swiftly, she made me lie on the bed. Spread your legs out, cat. That's a good girl. When the pain comes, just breathe in and out. Just breathe through it. But the pain never goes. There was no relief now, no rest from the agony. I was hysterical, thrashing about on the bed. I was so afraid I could not control it. The panic was rising in me and I was screaming uncontrollably. Meady leant over and slapped me across the face. For a moment I stopped, surprised. Cat, you must calm down. Your baby is depending on you. This is the most important work you will ever do. You must concentrate. I stopped for a moment, trying to catch my breath. It's so hard, Meady. I can't do it. Yes, you can, Cat. It won't be long now. Let me look at you. Maybe I can see the baby's head. Gently, she pushed me down and parted my legs. It was the middle of the day now and she could see clearly. Cat, I can see your baby's head. A little red head like you. It's just ready to come now. I groaned, not able to believe it. Within the hour, you will be holding your baby cat, I promise. It didn't encourage me. I was in too much pain to care. Where is the midwife? I want the midwife. Cat, she has been delayed, so it is you and me. We have to do this together. Now, when I tell you, you must push down with all your might, as if you were passing a stool. Briefly, I remembered Lady Boleyn many years ago, telling me this. Times passed, times passed. I tried to push, straining down with all my might. Meady, I can't, I can't do it. Yes, you can, Cat, you must. But it hurts so much. You must be brave, Cat. Think of your baby and push. I pushed as hard as I could feeling the agony increase as I did. Well done, sweeting. It's coming now. I can see it coming. I pushed again, screaming as I did so. But then Meady stopped, looked and spoke urgently to me. Cat, you must stop pushing. There's a problem. If you push more, you will damage yourself and your baby. Help me, Meady. What shall I do? We must wait for the midwife. Your baby is stuck in the birth canal. Stuck? I was in despair. Was this was how it going to end? With me dying in childbirth and taking my baby with me? Mistress Mead was looking very worried. She had experience of normal childbirth, but not of emergencies. I started to pray. 
I prayed for you, daughter, and for me. You must baptise her, even if she is barely here, I gasped. If we were going to die, I was not going to send you to limbo where unbaptized babies went. Mistress Mead nodded and fetched a basin of water. She wet her finger and reached up between my legs to the baby's head. Innocent soul, I baptise you in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Ghost. For a moment, the terrible pain stopped. But then the world went black and I was on my way to my maker.